to find in your bulletin or in your personal Bibles uh, the scripture passage, well, the scripture passages that we'll be considering this morning. We'll look at three different ones today with three points as well. But before we read the first passage, as we typically do, I want to give us a brief introduction here. Many modern people have thought that human reason, ingenuity, and science would usher in a better future, a time of peace and prosperity. However, a couple of law professors from the University of Michigan say that technological optimism is an article of faith. Simply put, these optimists believe in unending human ingenuity, or at least human ingenuity with no foreseeable limit. It's a statement of faith and belief in human ingenuity. But we've seen in recent history, well, that these scientific advances have not brought a certain better future for the world or humanity. In fact, after two world wars, various pandemics, the Great Depression of the 20th century, then the nuclear-armed Cold War, we have seen that scientific progress, so to speak, is not always, in fact, progress. Just think about it. Most of the big problems that humanity today faces are largely a result of scientific breakthroughs and technological progress. For example, we cannot easily contain pandemics because we have advanced air travel due to technological advances. And we have a vast system of international and globalized trade that is nearly impossible to lock down. That's one. Also, we live in the so-called informational age, where, nonetheless, we all feel like we can't trust any source of information out there. There is too many voices, too much information coming at us, largely because of social media and advancement in technology. It has not brought more certainty. It's brought more distrust. Not to mention we've lost almost all sorts, of, all sort of privacy because of big te- big tech that has entered into our lives and dominated. We see that things that were meant to make life easier, these technological advances, have in fact created new problems for us as humanity. They have not eradicated problems. So we see that optimism based on scientific progress is not a real hope for a better world. It is an article of faith, a belief in human ingenuity that is somehow limitless. In his new book, this book here, which I highly recommend, Hope in the Times of Fear, Tim Keller, author, theologian, he writes this. He says, Western progressives believe history is moving towards more individual freedom or class equality, or economic prosperity, or technologically acquired peace and justice. But all of these views are not hypotheses that anyone can test. They are hope-so beliefs that are not rooted in the empirical realm. These are articles of faith, he's saying. The resurrection of Christ, however, includes powerful evidence from the empirical realm, while still requiring faith, It provides a highly reasonable, rational hope that there is a God who is going to renew the created order. 
And so that leads us to the goal for this morning in this sermon. I want you to see that the resurrection hope of Christianity is not like the hollow optimism of our day. Our resurrection hope is reasonable, it is full, and it is personal. Those will be our three points that we'll see from the three texts before us. And so let's now read that first text from John chapter 20. This is the day of the resurrection from the eyewitness account of John, where he writes, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told them, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, You have believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now from this text, we see our first point, that the resurrection hope is a reasonable hope. In John 20, we have here an eyewitness account of Jesus' bodily resurrection from the dead. The text claims that he was raised bodily in his very own self-same body, not just a resuscitation of life, more than that. His humanity has been magically, majestically rather improved. On the one hand, there was continuity with Jesus' former body, but on the other hand, his body has gone through a glorious change. So the continuity is found in the fact that his friends can realize it is him, that it is Jesus, and they can see the the very wounds from his death on the cross. On the other hand, there's this glorious change that has happened because he's able to somehow show up in their midst, in their presence, even though the doors were locked. So there's continuity with his body, but an upgrade in his human nature, so to speak. In Luke's account, Jesus clarifies that his resurrected body was not ghost-like. He said, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Now, why is this important? Why am I stressing this point? Well, all of Christianity hinges on the empirical claim that can be evaluated that Jesus rose bodily from the dead. If Jesus was not bodily raised from the dead, then Christianity is false. It hinges on that claim, on that reality. And if he did rise again from the dead, then it is true. All of it. Like other events that have happened in human history, historians can investigate the resurrection of Jesus as a historical claim. And in fact, it demands that we investigate the evidence for it. And so in this sense, we are in the position of Thomas before he came face to face with Christ. Like Thomas, 
we know as a historical reality that Jesus' tomb was empty. The Romans and the Jewish leaders could have easily ended the massive movement of Christianity in an instant if they simply presented the body of Jesus and said, look, these Christians are crazy, saying he's risen from the dead. Here's his dead body. They never did that. They never tried to refute the claim that Jesus' tomb was empty. Everyone knew it was empty and that his body was nowhere to be found. Also, like Thomas, not only the empty tomb, but we have the eyewitness accounts of those who saw him with their own eyes, spoke with him, ate with him, talked with him on various occasions and in different locations. The Gospels themselves, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these are just that. They're eyewitness testimonies of what they saw and touched and experienced themselves. And also, what is more, within 30 years of the event itself, the Apostle Paul says that Jesus had appeared to more than 500 eyewitnesses at the same time. And then he adds in 1 Corinthians 15 that many of them are still alive today. What he's saying is basically, go talk to them. You can go ask them for yourselves to verify this claim that he indeed rose from the dead and appeared to these eyewitnesses. So like Thomas, we also have the eyewitness accounts. And lastly, like Thomas, many of us are still skeptics. We have our doubts. We want to see with our own eyes and touch with our own hands the resurrected body of Christ. So with that, how did Jesus respond to Thomas? Did he rebuke, reprimand Thomas for his doubts, wanting to see more evidence? No. In fact, Jesus invited him to see for himself. He invited him to come and evaluate the evidence. And what happened when Thomas was personally confronted with the evidence of Jesus' resurrection? Well, the biggest doubter became the biggest believer of all. He makes a a bold affirmation about Jesus' identity in this text. Now, you should not expect the same special kind of treatment that Thomas received from Jesus for a variety of reasons. But that does not mean that there is no evidence for you and I to consider. There is a ton of historical evidence that supports the claim of Jesus' bodily resurrection from the grave. Tim Keller writes, belief in the resurrection of Christ is not a blind leap of faith. It has left an enormous footprint in history. It transcends but includes what we call history and what we call science. And if you are interested at all in looking into the evidence, I highly recommend this book entitled The Resurrection of the Son of God, written by Oxford scholar uh, N.T. Wright, where he presents tons of evidence uh, in support of this historical claim that Christ rose again from the dead and arguments in favor of the plausibility and the credibility of this claim. And I will personally meet with you to go over this evidence if you're interested. Uh, This is one of my favorite topics. I would love to go over this evidence with you and study together the resurrection of Christ. And this is what N.T. Wright, this author, he says about how reasonable our belief in the resurrection is. He says this, The early Christians did not invent the empty tomb in the meetings or sightings of the risen Jesus. Nobody expected this kind of thing to happen. 
No kind of conversion experience would have invented it. No matter how guilty they felt, no matter how many hours they poured over the scriptures, to suggest otherwise is to stop doing history and enter into a fantasy world of our own. That last line is very important. Because if you simply dismiss the claim about Jesus' resurrection from the dead, as if it's just impossible, or, ah, that's just not true for me, then it's not just a matter of reason or plausibility that you're rejecting it. It has to do with your own heart. Be honest with yourself. If you haven't investigated the evidence for Christ's resurrection, it is most likely because you do not want it to be true. You're afraid that it is true, because if it is true, and we believe that it is, in fact, true, then you would have to reconstruct your whole life around the resurrection of Christ. Like Thomas, you have to let it confront not only your mind, but your own self-image and your deepest commitments in life. Because if it is true, you too must conclude with him, saying, Jesus, you're my Lord and my God. So we've seen in our first point that we have a reasonable hope, a reasonable hope that is based on a historical event of Jesus' resurrection. And there is evidence in support of that. Let's look at our second point and our second text in Romans 8. You can find that in our bulletin as well. Where we see the resurrection of Jesus also gives us a full hope. Where Paul, the apostle, says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. What we find here in this text is the full hope that we have in the resurrection of Christ. This text is describing to us the renewal of all creation. The Apostle Paul here, he is seamlessly uniting the Christian hope that we have in the afterlife, life after death, with the hope of the whole creation, saying that it's been groaning in the pains of childbirth, and we with it, longing to be set free from bondage and corruption. This means that eventually all of creation will be caught up in the power and glory of Jesus' bodily resurrection. You see, true Christianity is not, not simply about going to a strange place in the clouds called heaven after you die. That is a very thin and vague hope that is not historic Christianity. Rather, our hope is about the healing and restoration of all that is good, true, and beautiful in God's creation. One of my professors in seminary, Dr. Michael Horton, 
he said this, that when he was growing up, salvation to him was just going to heaven when I die. But then, well, maybe that's what you're thinking about, or have thought about Christianity as well up until this moment. But then for Dr. Horton, at some point, he came to understand the meaning of the resurrection. And he says this, it was liberating to learn that Christ was the beginning, first fruits of the new creation, the united to him by faith. Everything that happened to Jesus has happened, is happening, and will happen to me. And that my salvation is wrapped up in the redemption of a people and a place, the renewed creation where righteousness dwells. It makes a big difference in our daily living, whether we think, ah, it's all just going to burn, or whether we think, The whole creation longs to be liberated from its bondage and share in the freedom of the children of God. Makes a big difference, this full hope that we have. Maybe this is new to you. True Christianity believes that eternal life will eventually be here on earth. Glorified earth, resurrected earth. Following the paradigm of Jesus' own resurrected body there will be continuity with this creation but also an upgrade a glorification of it and that's why we pray thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven our hope is not to fly away from our bodies in this earth no as paul says in our text we have the hope the resurrection of our bodies, the redemption of our bodies, and the renewal of the whole creation. That is the Christian hope, a full hope that encompasses so much more than just ourselves and our souls. It is a promise of the world and the life that we've always longed for. And the guarantee of that promise was made when Jesus rose from the grave. When Jesus' heart began to beat again, blood flowing again through his body. And when he took that first breath again after being dead for three days, he put into motion the making of all things new. The beginning of the new creation. We see then, therefore, that our resurrection hope is a full hope. And that leads us to our last point, our last text from another eyewitness of Jesus' resurrection, Peter. From 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 3 through 6, we find that our resurrection hope is a personal hope. Where he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So here we see that this full hope that encompasses all of creation, it's a big hope, but it also is a deeply personal hope for each and every one of us who belongs to Jesus by faith. That if you come to believe the evidence and the eyewitness testimonies that in fact God did raise Jesus from the dead, then this belief will powerfully change you from the inside out. Peter says that God will cause you to be born again by the power of his resurrection. What that means 
is that God begins to apply in your heart the same renewing power of Jesus' resurrection in your life. All of the potential power that is to come in creating, making all things new, comes into the present, into our lives, into our hearts, by the power of the Spirit making us new, little by little. Practically, this means that you're, you begin to kind of come alive again spiritually. God wakes you up to see the full hope that you have in Jesus, and you begin to reconstruct all of your life around the reality of Jesus' death and resurrection. And you have a living hope with direction and purpose in your life. A final destination, the renewal of all things. And you're part of a story that is alive and headed towards that blessed restoration of all that's good, true, and beautiful. And as Peter says here, God himself is guarding and protecting you in your journey. This reasonable and full hope we find becomes deeply personal for us. It is a hope, as Peter says, that gives us reason to rejoice even when we are grieved by various trials in life. Because we know that nothing, there is nothing that the resurrection will not cure in the end. There is nothing that the resurrection will not cure in the end. All will be made right and new again. The great Puritan theologian, John Owen, he was well acquainted with grief and suffered through a variety of diverse trials. For instance, he outlived his wife and his 11 children. Just imagine that. He outlived his 11 children and his wife. And there are many other things that he also suffered as well. And yet, John Owen was able to write this. He says this, When we cling wholeheartedly to Jesus, and our minds are filled with thoughts of him and delight in him, then spiritual power will flow from him to purify our hearts, increase our holiness, strengthen our graces, and sometimes fill us with joy inexpressible, and full of glory. You see, despite being grieved deeply by various trials in life, John Owen was grounded with a personal hope in the resurrection of Jesus. He was even able to have inexpressible joy in times of difficulty as he held on to Jesus in the power of his resurrection. When all other lights go out in the world, in your life, this light still remains lit, the resurrection hope that we have in him to guide us and lead us forward. You see, this is what the resurrection hope gives us personally, strength and joy. One author says it this way, the resurrection does not promise that all circumstances of life will go smoothly. That's not the promise. But it does give us hope that we, that we can be turned into the kind of people who can handle whatever comes. That is the promise. And so we've come to see the Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, it's not empty optimism. It's not a hope-so belief. No, our resurrection hope is reasonable, it is full, it is personal. And I want you to walk away today with this. that The belief in the resurrection is both intellectually credible and existentially satisfying. You might still at this point be resistant to the historical claim that Jesus rose bodily from the grave. 
But ask yourself if that resistance is rooted in the lack of evidence for that claim or if your resistance is rooted in the fact that you don't want it to be true. Ask yourself that. Ask yourself, and if you're, if you're actually willing to investigate further the evidence in support of Jesus' resurrection, because why wouldn't you want it to be true? Don't you want to see all that is good, true, and beautiful restored in the end, including your own body and your own soul in the resurrection after death? Don't you want to have a hope that will sustain you with strength and joy even in the darkest of times? Don't you want to have that personal hope in life? It doesn't matter if you think that Christianity just doesn't fit who you are in this time in your life or your lifestyle. Why? Well, if the resurrection of Jesus actually happened, then Christianity fits you whether you see it or not because it is true. And you need to reconstruct your life around that reality. Like Thomas, I pray that you come to see that you have no choice but to resign your doubts and to submit to Jesus as your Lord and your God, your Savior and your King. And if you do, if you do, you too will have with us our glorious resurrection hope. Because Christ is risen, He is risen indeed. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for these eyewitness accounts that we have read from John, from Peter, and from the Apostle Paul, all who, with their own eyes, saw the risen Lord Jesus Christ and lived their whole lives around that reality even suffering so much, even to death, to proclaim the good news of Jesus' resurrection. Lord, we ask now that you would impress this reality into our hearts, that we have a reasonable hope, we have a full hope, and we have a personal hope to sustain us in the darkest of times. We ask also, Lord, that you would work by your Spirit conviction, and faith into the hearts of those who, like Thomas, may still have doubts and be skeptics. Lord, we ask that in time you would present to them more and more evidence to show them that this is a credible, a credible belief and that it is also existentially satisfying. Lord, make this a reality. Work in our hearts the power of Jesus' death and resurrection. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, with that, loved ones...